Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope you are all well, witches. Kicking things off with our book review today, and our book is You Are a Goddess, Working with the Sacred Feminine to Awaken, Heal, and Transform by Sophie Bashford. This is the book's blurb. You know the goddess as a divine feminine figure of myth, art, and faith. But are you aware that in truth, the goddess is a life force that lives in you? Did you know that your multifaceted experiences of life as a woman are influenced by goddess consciousness? Do you sense that you have a hidden feminine energy that longs to be seen, accepted, valued and used for a healing purpose? In this highly engaging and stirring book, leading intuitive Sophie Bashford takes you on a journey to meet nine goddess archetypes, which will help you to understand the many ups and downs, emotions and cycles of your life through the eyes of the goddess. Discover how the goddesses can ignite your spiritual growth and uncover your feminine healing gifts. Learn how to work with each goddess for self-healing, positive inner change and empowerment. Get in touch with a divine feminine support and healing system comprising nine archetypes, including Kali, Mary Magdalene, Aphrodite and Isis. This book, oh my goodness, my intention for this autumn and winter is to read more non-fiction books. This is a book that has been on my wish list for a little while. And it proved to be one of the most profound books I have read in ages. I felt so moved by this book. There was one moment I had reading this that I won't ever forget. I am, of course, obsessed with goddesses. So this book was of huge interest to me for that alone. This isn't a book that you would necessarily turn to in order to learn a ton about a goddess. This is a book you would turn to to feel the deep healing energy of that goddess. Throughout the book, each chapter takes us to the temple of a specific goddess. The book is separated into sections such as healing and clearing, awakening and initiating and transforming. This book takes us to the temple of Kali, Mother Mary, Kuan Yin, the Avalon Priestesses, Hecate, Aphrodite, Lilith, Mary Magdalene and Isis. I could see what stage that I was at in my own healing journey through reading this. I could also see where I was struggling, but I could also see how we go back and forth and that none of the healing process is linear. One evening I was reading this book in bed, just crying my eyes out and I felt such a huge energy block just move through me. I wasn't even aware that it was there. The chapter and temple was that of Mother Mary. So each chapter gives you a meditation that you can read and work through. And this particular chapter was about releasing tears So you are there in her temple in this sacred pool of holy water, surrounded in a blue light and she pours holy water over your crown chakra, which moves through each of your chakras, 
It is all about opening you up to emotional release. So I see myself in this pool and obviously I'm a witch who has had very little thought or feelings on Mother Mary. But that whole motherly energy and the blue light around me and then in the meditation she says the following to you. Woman, your tears shall heal the world. You are releasing yourself from eons of suppressed feminine emotions. You are weeping for your own healing and transformation. You are weeping for the women of the world, living or past. You are weeping for the grief-stricken collective feminine psyche. Thank you for your tears. I shall hold them in sacrament and bless them eternally. You can let this pain go. It is no longer a part of your energy field. You are releasing heavy burdens and clearing deep channels of feminine wisdom through letting these tears flow. Never be afraid or ashamed of your tears. They have an energy that is wise, a holy purpose, and come when they are needed. Let me tell you, I cried so hard and I just didn't know where it all came from. But the next day when I woke up, felt brand new. I was a new witch. It was unbelievable. Whatever was stuck just moved through me. But the sentiment that the author left me with in regards to safety to feel those feels and cry and so on is something that I think will help me in my emotional toolkit. I'm so over the whole stiff British upper lip and how crying is weak. I cry all the time over beautiful things and bad things, but I move that energy through me much quicker than keeping it stored up because someone's barking at me not to cry. That is one thing I've struggled with when it comes to people around me in life and over the years and the uncomfort that is often expressed around crying because I just don't see it like that. When we cry, we release stuffed down energy that otherwise goes into our cells and the tissues of our body. The more I used to feel like it was unacceptable to cry, the more I wanted to. Giving ourselves permission to feel the feels and it becomes not so all-encompassing. Anyway, I know some people have blocks regarding this and sorry if I sound very cavalier, but if you do, please read this book. I'm sure it will have you moving emotion through. I recognise I particularly need to revisit frequently the temple of Aphrodite and Mary Magdalene as there are lessons and healing here that I still need to work through relating to my experience in relationships, boundaries, the divine masculine, the twin flame journey. This book felt as though she was speaking to me personally and I'm sure you will feel the same within the different temples as you move through the book. It is such an empowering read, despite the fact that I was either crying or nodding my head at feeling seen throughout the book. Overall, it just left me feeling extremely capable and well sane for the emotions that are present within me. I've always been hard on myself for being sensitive, but this book just helped me realise how I can channel it and see it as more of a blessing than a curse. If you feel you are on the opposite side of the scale, perhaps too in your masculine energy or struggling to process emotions, I really think this could open you up to feeling safe to feel and be vulnerable. One of the best books I have ever read, the author truly does seem to channel the goddesses and I recommend this without hesitation. Speaking of goddesses, now today I'm switching things up a bit. We were meant to have a second episode on the Druids, but fate intervened. So we are going to be looking at a Slavic goddess and a spirit. I promise you once we get into the episode, I will explain why I've thrown the original plan out of the window. 
the next Druid episode won't be one that you needed to have listened to the first episode to understand or anything. It will be a fresh look at the Druid. There could even be a third episode we cover on that. So please don't think that this will throw the flow out of the window in regards to the Druid topic. So join me now after the break to talk all about the unbinding, the mokosh and the kikimora. Welcome back. So I watched a documentary this week called The Unbinding and it really impacted me. So I decided to research the goddess that was referenced. At first, my intention was to put this out as a Patreon podcast episode. But let me tell you now, I don't think this goddess was happy that it wasn't going to be heard by more people. And I felt if I didn't put this out as a main episode, I would be in trouble. (laughs) Firstly, there's definitely something going on at present with me and goddesses. First, we had Ellen of the Ways, another primal goddess who I felt the call from and had to delve into a deep rabbit hole to research and put an episode out on. That was nothing like the call I had from this goddess. But let's get back to where we started with the documentary. I had seen this documentary advertised a little while back. However, it was when I heard a recent episode of the podcast Real Life Ghost Stories where the host talked about the backstory of the documentary that got me firstly researching the Kikimura, who she referenced. I hadn't watched the documentary at this point, but thought this will be fascinating for a podcast episode. So I spent a day researching the Kikimura. And then that night I thought, let me finish off the day by watching the documentary, The Unbinding. This documentary had me shook. It was terrifying. It centered around two guys who find a wooden statue that has nails in its eyes and a noose around its neck. They decide to bring this statue home, which sounds like a horrible idea, and it was. The guy who keeps it lives with his dog and he begins to experience all sorts of paranormal occurrences, such as watery footprints on the floor, noises in his home, the statue itself is found in different places to where he puts it down, his dog three nights in a row pees in the home, which she has never done before, she's really out of sorts. One night he wakes at 3am to hear the front door being knocked on. He opens it, there's no one there, but he gets this terrible feeling he has let something in. Terrified, he goes over to his friend's house, who he found the statue with, brings the dog with him, winds up staying there. His friend is quite interested in the supernatural, so he posts on a Reddit thread all that is occurring with his friend under a throwaway account, explaining how they came across the statue and what is occurring. The thread gets busy and it is drawn to the attention of someone who is working at the time with Dana and Greg Newkirk, who are curators of the Travelling Museum of the Paranormal and Occult. He sends over some contact details for Greg and says that he is certain he would be able to help them. They quickly reach out to Greg, who gives them some advice on how to manage this. So he advises them to return it to where they found it, communicate with it first to let the statue know they are sorry, will get it returned and so on. But if they don't feel that they can cope with that, they can send it to him and he will take responsibility for it. Anyway, the next day, both the guys go back to that apartment to get the statue On entering, they see muddy, wet footprints. The statue is in a completely different place. There's a crack in the wall because it's been like hurled at the wall. Everywhere smells of pond water. 
Then in the corner of a room, they begin to see a shadowy figure of an old woman. They just wind up sending the statue to Greg to deal with. They have this ominous feeling that they should not go back to where they found it with the statue. There's a series of events that occur when the statue is in Greg and Dana's hands, such as it being caught moving on camera. The first day it arrives, a statue of Jesus is ripped off its cross in the office the statue is in. The statue was actually placed underneath the Jesus statue when it all takes place. They have all manner of heightened paranormal activity once the statue is in their ownership. There is so much more to this story and I cannot recommend the documentary enough. Dana Newkirk is an experienced practicing witch. She takes you through how she removed any energy, curses, all that was placed on the doll. There are so many weird synchronicities and the like throughout this documentary with this statue. They can't fathom at first what the statue is of, what it is all about. It turns out that the statue is of a Slavic goddess, Mokosh. It's an old statue, but the nails that have been hammered into it and the noose around it are new. The tools that have been used for that are all new. Where the statue was found has a large Ukrainian community. As we unravel the paranormal activity, it all points to similar activity of the Kikimura. There seems to be some strange connection between the Mokosh and the Kikimura. And of course, I had to look into the two. If anything, I think the Unbinding documentary is testament to how powerful our intentions can be. Also signified a goddess that was revered for so long and should never be forgotten. It deeply fascinated me and terrified me in equal measure. I'm not ashamed to say I slept with the light on that night. Still a little bit terrified. So, of course, there was no way I wasn't going to listen to my gut feeling that the Mokosh or the Kikimura, whichever one had my attention, wanted me to talk about her urgently and for everyone to hear. So first, we're going to look at the Mokosh, a beautiful primal goddess. And I'll start with some words that I found written by Francesca Hendrick. Mokosh, lady of the waters, ever flowing, ever changing, gentle mother and fierce protector, gift us with knowledge, bless us with strength, inspire our creativity, motivate our productivity, teach us and bless us. Mokosh is a Slavic goddess revered as a supreme deity and mother goddess within the Slavic pantheon. Her role is as a spinner of destiny, spirit of the home, authoring protection to all its inhabitants. She is often connected to weaving, commerce, fishing, fertility, death, prosperity and abundance. She is seen as a timeless symbol of strength. Her dominion is land and water. She has immense power over the earth and its natural elements and symbolizing fertility, abundance and nourishment, she plays a pivotal role in sustaining life. She's deeply connected to the cycles of nature and represents creation, renewal and death. She oversees functional aspects of daily life. She is a shepherdess who protects sheep, promotes prosperous animal husbandry and ensures the well-being of all livestock. She is a protectress of traders, bestowing fortune and success upon their endeavours. She was seen as a protector of women, especially pregnant women, mothers and also children. She would especially be called upon in times of childbirth and men would also pray to her at times in respect of fertility. 
She had her own son, Eurillo, a god of fertility, springtime, and vegetation. She had a daughter, the opposite to Eurillo, called Morana, a goddess of winter, death, and dreams. So it is said that Mokosh and Brigid have many similarities. Both bless and protect women's crafts and women's work and share attributes of healing, motherhood and midwifery. They are both goddesses of fate and destiny, spinning the thread of creation, giving life and cutting the thread like the three fates of Greek tradition. Both have a special connection with sheep, wool and weaving and of course with textiles. Mokosh is a patron of weaving, guiding and bestowing the craft. So Bridget is often honoured through the tying of cloths or clutes at sacred wells. While a favourite offering to Mokosh was a hank of spun wool dropped into a well. In the Slavic lands, Mokosh is a key figure on embroidered ritual cloths. In Slavic embroidery, she is often depicted in forms of a flower, goddess or tree figure with branches, arms, wings or wheat ears, sometimes all at once. Mokosh features centrally on women's aprons, directly over the life-giving place over the womb. She is also featured on sacred cloths for the icon corner in the home or on cloth and clothing that is again tied to birch or willow trees in Russia and the Ukraine, similar to what we do here with Clutis. All over Europe, these elements of the goddess and the divine fertile feminine can be found, disguised but discernible in embroideries, dances, songs, fairy tales, ritual, breads and other seasonal customs. In embroidery, she can sometimes be represented as a woman with uplifted hands and flanked by two plough horses. Symbols of Mokosh are the husos, spindle, and teller, cloth, which connect to her role as weaver and spinner of destiny. The rombo or diamond represents the interconnectedness of life and the ever-turning wheel of fortune. The sacred tree or pillar, symbolic of her, represents the deep-rooted connection between Mokosh, nature and the spiritual realm. She is a symbol of the divine feminine, feminine power. She often resonates with witches who are seeking a deeper connection with nature and their ancestral heritage. Rituals and offerings dedicated to Mokosh often include celebrating cycles of nature and honouring the earth. Many of her devotees will turn to Mokosh for guidance in matters of family and domestic life. Mokosh, like Bridget, is associated with wells and springs. She is also associated with moisture. The name Mokosh comes from the root mol, meaning moisture, and is connected with the Slavic words mokri and moknut, wet and to get wet. Mokosh brings the water of life and protects the life-giving waters on which human and animal existence depend. In this way, Mokosh gives life to plants and animals and is often portrayed with them. Alongside Brigid, Gaia, Hera, Juno and Astarte from the Greek pantheon resonate with aspects of her divine essence. She also appears through images of Baba Yaga and the Kikimura. In Christianity, Saint Petka carries resemblance to Mokosh. Mokosh was also replaced with the Virgin Mary. Remnants of her presence were removed and blended with Christian beliefs. Friday is the day usually associated with female deities. She was primarily worshipped by women and it was forbidden on a Friday to do any housework associated with spinning or weaving. As Mokosh was responsible for human fate, it was believed that by doing this type of work on her holy day, you would be interfering with the goddess's work. 
This was replicated when it came to St. Pekka, who retained all Mokosh's attributes. It was believed if a woman spun on a Friday, St. Pekka would appear to be covered in injuries left by pins, needles and spindles. Churches built in St. Pekka's honour are often made of red brick with silver domes, since red and silver are said to be colours associated with Mokosh. I'm really a little bit nervous about this episode because there are so many different takes on the Mokosh and the Kikimura and much of the research I have found is from witches who actually work with her, so devotees of her. So I appreciate that some of us witches may have come across this goddess or the Kikimura before but in a different take. I've tried to bring in all the research that I've found check it all out against one another, see what makes the most sense. There are some facts that are in here that I just felt were particularly interesting in that that is how they are perceived, but by no means wish to offend anybody with what I'm putting in this episode. Also with my terrible pronunciations. (laughs) Anyway, along Russia, there are springs known as Pyatnitsas, Springs where women leave offerings on a Friday, usually cloth dolls, embroidered towels and autumn vegetables when it is the season. They collect water from the springs as it's believed to have healing qualities. A way you could honour Mokosh is said to be on a Friday through praying when the sun rises. Mokosh was the only female deity whose idol was erected by Vladimir the Great in his Kiev sanctuary. In the Slavic pantheon, male deities are generally heavenly and female deities more natural and worldly. Archaeological evidence of her dates back to the 7th century BC. Coming back to the fate association, so Roshanitsas are three-headed weavers of fate and they can be looked at as the three moon phases, young, full and dying. The moon affects the waters and that then has to do with dampness of air and fertility of soil and Mokosh is always connected to water and fertility. There are many theories about who the other two Roshanitsas are next to Mokosh. Some say they are Lada and Leia daughter and granddaughter. Some say they are fortune and misfortune. Both these theories can be connected and explained through the moon cycle, a story of birth, death and rebirth. Mokosh, who was once young Lada, and then Lada grew up to be Mokosh and gave birth to Leia, who continues the never-ending cycle. Many researchers disagree of existence of Lada, goddess of beauty and love, because only certain Slavic people worshipped her. And it is possible that she was just Mokosh, translated through different nations. Friday also was a day dedicated to not only female deities, but those connected to love and beauty. And since it was dedicated to Mokosh, this can be used as a confirmation of these theories. Roshanitsas are known across the continent under different names and represent midwives who help women give birth, but also priestesses who help with spiritual growth and rebirth. Mokosh and or the fates, whatever the correct theory is, are an example of the role of women in society at the time. They were wives, mothers, healers, teachers and sorceresses who nourished and taught ancient wisdoms and customs. Mokosh is often portrayed with a headdress or horns. Married Slavic women in old times used to wear similar headdresses or would braid their hair as the horns. 
These braided or unbraided horns are called kiki or kikisi and were often covered with a scarf of some sort. Remember this when we come back to the kikimura. Spindle and distaff are the two most important attributes of mokosh since they were used to spin the fates and lives of people. By tying the knots on the thread of life, mokosh marks important events in one's life and this is where the famous expression of tying the knot comes from. This was also being done literally during Slavic traditional weddings where the hand fasting ritual was being performed. A key saga in Slavic mythology is the eternal divine battle of the thunder god Perun and the god of the underworld Veles. They were both the companions of Mokosh and some Rodnovri authors believe that the abduction of Mokosh by Veles started this continuous struggle between the highest deities in the pantheon. During later periods when Rodnovery started to emerge again amongst Slavic people, Mokosh was also worshipped as the ruler over death, meaning that Velez was losing the eternal battle. Rodnovery is the Slavic native faith, sometimes known as Slavic neo-paganism. It recognises three planes of existence or three dimensions. They are mostly depicted as a holy oak tree, with the treetop being Nav, the tree trunk and base being Yav, and the roots being Prav. Mokosh takes her place in two of these at the same time today. Primary place of Mokosh, so as the goddess of fertility and a protector, her primary place is at the foothill of the holy oak tree, next to a spring of water where she yarns threads of destiny for the newborns. It's also believed that she holds a golden key of doors between Yav and Nav and decides on when it will be unlocked. By doing this, she decides the fertility of the year. The secondary place of Mokosh. As the consort of Perun, her secondary place is high up the treetop at the table of the Thunder God. This is said to be why Fridays are her days. In the old days, women made distaffs out of hemp fibre and offered it to Mokosh as a sacrifice because hemp was harvested in late October when she is celebrated. Today, as hemp isn't grown much, women make distaffs out of corn fibre as corn is one of the common agriculture plants that is harvested in October. In the spring edition of her holiday, she is the goddess of fertility. It is forbidden to disturb nature on any occasion. You are prohibited to dig in your garden as every hit with a tool is said to be like hitting the goddess herself. You are also prohibited to pluck grass or weed as every pluck is like pulling her hair. What Rodnovery does on this day is just relax and spend time nurturing things in nature to gain favour from Mokosh. So some offerings that are often made to her are bread, milk, cereal, honey, fibre, wool, thread, yarn, 
ribbons, handkerchiefs, embroidered towels and scissors. I didn't know, I couldn't find exactly what the scissors were for. It could be because of the weaving and the fates association. Plants that are said to link to her are the spruce, rowan, flax, hemp and tansy. So small idols of Mokosh are often made for prayer called Mokosh stones and they are believed to hold a lot of power. This is similar to the statue that we see in the documentary of the Unbinding. So she is celebrated in the Rognovery tradition on either the first or second Friday in May and the last Friday in October. So the statue in the Unbinding documentary is of the Mokosh. However, the supernatural activity that takes place could be that of the Kikimura. The Kikimura originates from Slavic folklore and is said to be a spirit that takes up residence within your home. She usually slinks into crevices, into the attic, behind the stove or under floorboards. Now, just a little bit of a trigger warning. This does reference suicide, children being kidnapped. You might not want to listen to this with little ones, just putting it out there. She has a preference for homes that are close to graveyards and crossroads, homes that are cursed, might have experienced a suicide within or have previously been burnt down. She's also drawn to homes that are dysfunctional, where abuse takes place, children are poorly behaved, where there are lots of quarrels or screaming. As a spirit, she is said to enter the home via the keyhole. Many Slavic women would often leave a key in the hole or a small piece of paper. They would also sprinkle salt across the front entrance to keep her away. If she did manage to get into the home, she'll be able to move about freely all over the household and even neighbouring homes. She is known to disguise herself as an animal, a lost child or object that you might bring home without realising it is her, unwillingly giving her access to your home. Another way you may find the Kikimura within your home can be at the hands of someone you have paid to do work within your home, for example, renovations. If you are rude to this individual and complain about their work, it was commonly known for the worker to pay a sorcerer to capture the spirit of the Kikimura into a Chadinka. So this I found was said to be a wood or cloth doll that is soaked in blood. The angry carpenter or whoever it is will then hide it inside of your walls and you can expect an aggressive, antagonistic, quick-tempered Kikimura to join you in the home not long after. So I couldn't find anything else in regards to the Chadinka and some of this information, but this does come from quite a highly reviewed book called A Study of Household Spirits of Eastern Europe by Renisa Avila. I came across this information secondhand. The book is quite expensive. It's quite hard to get hold of. I definitely want to buy it, but I found this on a YouTube channel called Mimir's Well Folklore, who actually reviews books and lays out a lot of the information. So the Kikimora's name could derive from the Finnish word for scarecrow or the Slavic word mora for dead. So it links to words for death, demons, crookedness, nightmares, crying and howling, similar to many of the Kikimora's nocturnal activities. When used as an insult, kikimura can mean hag or untidy person, sometimes used alternatively in a positive way to mean a hard worker. It is said that should you hear scratching, creaking, pots clanging, whistling, moaning, whining, stomping in the middle of the night, it could be the kikimura. 
She also likes to open and slam doors. She likes to run from room to room and her feet are said to sound like scuttling mice or cockroaches. She is known to flip chairs, break items, move furniture about and cause the furniture to appear as though it is dancing. She will turn any dairy products in the home sour and also likes to set tea towels on fire. She will often move things around or cause them to go missing. Despite being so slight, she has a lot of power when it comes to throwing things. She's known to pull your earlobes whilst you sleep, grab at your bed covers, pull out your hair, tickle children until they scream. She will throw things at you, specifically shoes and coal, whatever is closest. She is said to torment animals, especially chickens, so that they won't lay eggs. She also likes to shear sheep, cause horses to stampede and cause milk in cows and goats to dry up. Now, she is a traditional explanation for sleep paralysis. This is one of the areas in regards to the Kikimura that first caught my attention. When I experienced sleep paralysis myself, it was actually the image of an old hag that I saw that absolutely terrified me. She also has the ability to create fake illusions that you see, such as waking to see swarms of spiders, rats or bats. If you leave her a gift, she is said to refrain from doing this. So the Kikimura may have originally been two creatures, the Kikimura and the Mora. Over time, the two merged together and became one. So the Mora is an ancient spirit from Slavic mythology, often considered as an explanation for sleep paralysis. So when you wake in the night, you are fully awake, you're able to see. It is said that you may see the Mora sitting on your chest and you will be unable to cry out. She may give you some sensation like she is sucking your blood like a vampire. This doesn't happen, however, but you might find a pale blue mark where she sat on you. So people would place a belt on their bed sheets, which would prevent her from performing sleep paralysis. Should you be a victim of her in sleep paralysis, it is said that you must try to move the big toe on your right foot, which can help you to start moving again. The Mora is said to be able to come to you in nightmares, clouding your vision with a mist and distorting your sense of reality, pushing you towards dangerous places and situations. Women are said to be given nightmares of losing their children or their husband being unfaithful. She influences nightmares for men where a dark spirit takes form as a beautiful woman and visits them in their dreams, torturing them with desire, dragging life out of them until their real life relationships are ruined. She is said to be powerful enough to drive someone to suicide. Her presence over time can cause someone to become ill or depressed. Her name was often pronounced in the scariest manner possible to resemble the squeak of a spindle. She is said to creep out at night from where she is hidden during the day in order to create her mischief. She enjoys spinning thread on a spinning wheel, weaving and sewing, preferably on the days that spinning was traditionally forbidden, such as Fridays at midnight and Christmas Eve. Any sewing that you may have been working on, she will go to great lengths to pull the stitching out. She is also known to tangle your yarn, so it's advised to keep your work hidden. Slavic women have traditionally been known to recite prayers to keep her away from their work. Despite dedicating all night to these tasks, she is comically terrible skills-wise and makes next to no progress. She is linked to the fates, past, present and future. Her spinning wheel is said to represent fate. 
she is known to be able to show you your fate, but only in the negative sense. To witness or hear her spinning is said to be a harbinger of impending death. To see her close to the front door is an omen of bad news with misfortune. She appears as a small hunchbacked old woman with long messy hair that is covered with a kerchief, common wear of married Slavic women. She is scrawny, unkempt, wears dishevelled clothing. She is said to have goat horns, bulging eyes, a tail and a long thin nose or beak. There are many variations on how she is said to look. She has long arms, crooked hairy hands with claws and short stick thin legs ending in chicken feet. She is said to be able to take on the form of any part of an animal's face or body. The household Kikimura fears going outside lest the wind blows her away. She is so slight. She is said to be frequently witnessed combing her hair. Rarely she will appear as a temptress with long flowing hair in a simple dress. Sometimes she will adopt the appearance of a past female ancestor, dependent on how she was created. An elderly female ancestor whose soul lingers too long in our world are said to become Kikimori. In his poem Kikimura, Russian composer Anatole Leodov describes this household spirit as a tiny brown witch with a thimble-sized head and a body no wider than a straw. She spends her first seven years living in a magician's mountain cave where she sleeps in a crystal cradle and is regaled with fairy tales by the magician's cat. Only after seven years does she leave the cave to go to live among people. It is said that if you keep a tidy house and live a traditional life, the Kikimura linked to the home will favour you and do less damage. If kept happy, she may even finish your chores, wash dishes and take care of animals and children. She is said to rock the baby to sleep or send them good dreams and feed or groom animals. Some people see her as a chicken goddess who guards the chickens, but she is also said to torment them. She may pluck chicken feathers, stress them out so that they will not lay eggs if she believes you haven't magically protected the chickens' living quarters. And a traditional remedy for this was to obtain a field stone with a natural hole in it and place it within their living area, which is said to protect the hens from harm. Baba Yaga also has much association with chickens and both are said to favour and reward women who performed traditional work skillfully and graciously. The Kikimura is juxtaposed with the Domovoi, who are defined as the one in the house, a Russian household spirit, ancestral and usually the founder of the family, who watches over and protects the inhabitants of the house, taking care that all is in order. So we have referenced the Domovoi on the podcast before. I think it could have been on the House Witch episode. Anyway, I will link the website that this account came from. The Domovoy lives behind the stove. He likes fire. And one of his punishments when the family displeases him is to burn down the house. When the family moves, brands of the old fire are carried to the new home. And the Domovoy is welcomed there as the new fire is lit. He is an old grey bearded man, looking very much like the living head of the family. His correct name is never used. He is called he or himself or grandfather. Some of the supper is left out overnight for the Domovoy, who bustles about in the dark, always busy, guarding against the intrusion of strange and hostile spirits. There are several kinds of Domovoy, the barn spirit, kitchen spirit or bathroom spirit. Every house has them. 
The domovoi is understood as the embodiment of a rod, the pre-Christian god of a family, and his purpose is to ensure that family's well-being. When a family moves, if the domovoi is not formally invited, he remains in the old home and will fight with the domovoi of the new family, causing all kinds of trouble until the invitation is properly offered and he moves to the new home. The kikimura associated with domovoi serves this same purpose as a protective entity, but the kikimura linked with leshi is a completely different sort of spirit. I will link that website on the show notes. Again, there are so many different takes on the domovoi, different traditions in relation to the domovoi, different ways that he is seen. Same with the Kikimura. Throughout law, Kikimura are said to be created when something disturbing happens, such as a child dying in a tragic manner, perhaps from a suicide victim, if a woman passes during labour, a child that hasn't been baptised, or if a child was buried under the foundations of a house, which was a common practice. A child kidnapped by the Kikimura could become one themselves. The Kikimura is said to leave something in place of your child if kidnapped, such as a mossy log or an enchanted object. Should a parent curse a child, it is said that the curse would bring the attention of the devil, who would begin to work his influences until the soul of the child faded into a Kikimura. Girls were mostly at risk as the Kikimura is female. However, boys were also said to have been transformed. One of the most random ways a Kikimura is created is said to be if a black cat leaps over a recently made grave. The corpse within is believed to rise as a vampire or Kikimura. The mossy log referenced could link to the Kikimura who likes to live in swamps and forests, not within the home. The forest Kikimura, who is said to possibly be the wife of the Leshi, known for dragging people off into the forest, never to be seen again. Leshi is a supernatural entity who reigns over the forest, protecting wildlife, plants and trees from abuse by humans, while allowing for respectful hunting and the harvesting of wood. Scholar Carol Rose describes the figure. His name is derived from the word les, which means forest. He is described as having the shape of a human, but with strangely pallid flesh, green eyes, green beard and long straggly hair, wearing his boots on the wrong feet and throwing no shadow. The Leshy was a shapeshifter that could stand as tall and in the likeness of the forest trees or assume the size of a blade of grass. He knew and could make every noise of the forest, deceiving humans who strayed there. People who wandered into the woods or those the Leshy fought were there to cause trouble were lured deeper and deeper into the thickets and never seen again. The Leshy was married to a similar entity, usually known as a Leshovica, with whom he has children known as Leshonki, who will grow up to find their own forests to protect. The Leshovica figure is sometimes associated with or replaced by a Kikimura who lives in the swamps near forests. She is said to dwell in swamps and dresses in a coat of moss. She has a penchant for kidnapping children and drowning them. Should she be lonely, she will venture to your home at night and leave a trail of wet, swampy, watery footprints on your floors. She also enjoys pushing travellers off the road. 
It is said you should never wander through a pea field in the summer lest you encounter the Kikimura who is said to have a pan so large she could fry you in it along with her desire to do so. There is a Russian story of a swamp Kikimura called Baba Bo who loved to brew beer and that when she was brewing a fog would cover the river or swamp. The Kikimura has association with bog witches and witches overall. Also Baba Yaga who resides in the forest and was also said to prey on the young to make them into her evening meal whilst flying around in her mortar and pestle. There is a lesser known male version of the Kikimura that is said to enter your home via the chimney and appears in the form of a lost lover. He is said to punish women who have succumbed to premarital sex. He likes to leave gifts for the intended woman out on the road, such as combs or jewellery. Should she pick it up and bring it inside the home, it will turn to ash and he will visit to attack her. Should the woman become pregnant by this spirit form, she should expect a pregnancy gestation of three years and a baby that is covered in black hair with a hunchback with hooves and small eyes. The spirit will return to collect his child, fortunately for the mother. A common fear had to do with the changeling, a demon child who replaced one's actual child, usually in infancy, and this was associated with the Kikimura. The spirit was thought to enter through the keyhole of the house, replace one's child with their own, and leave quietly to raise the baby as a Kikimura. Scholars Maria Leach and Jerome Fried comment on the belief in the keyhole as among the most common entry points for spirits in a house, including the Kikimura. The keyhole in common with the door, chimney or other openings of the house is a place for the entrance of demons, witches or the devil. If the key is left in the keyhole, no evil spirit can enter. Fear of the open keyhole is especially great when there is a newborn child in the house on account of the belief in changelings. Once the Kikimura's child is switched with the mortal infant, the parents raise it as their own until they notice peculiar behaviour that alerts them to the child's true identity as a Kikimura. Avila cites the example of parents deciding not to teach their child to read ahead of his age group because others in the community might consider him a Kikimura. Children are always advised to not make eye contact with the Kikimura if they see her, as well as not to look at doors or cupboards because she will trick them by opening them up. The Kikimura would often be used to explain tragic events, such as the death of a family member, especially the death of a child, young woman, expectant mother, matriarch of the family who was in good health, or illness or loss of a household item. If you couldn't find a rake, hoe or lantern within the home, it was blamed on the Kikimura. The Kikimura may have originated from a legend that features Svarog, the god of the sky, fire, the hearth and smithing in pre-Christian Slavic paganism. In the tale, Svarog creates an idyllic place in the heavens for the beautiful entities that surround him. Over the course of time, the beings become dissatisfied and want things their own way. So they begin to conspire to overthrow Svanog. As he is a god, he is already privy to their plans before they can set things in motion. He catches the conspirators and hurls them from the heavens down to earth where he decrees this is where they will now remain. They fall through the skies and into chimneys of homes where they become lodged in the hearth. Repenting their foolishness, they vow to look after the inhabitants of the home by keeping the fires going, warning the family of potential dangers and helping to maintain order and bright energies in the home. 
This is a speculative connection in respect of the Kikimura. For many of the spirits in this story are not known for acting out when they feel slighted. It's likely this is an influence, however, for the Kikimuras and Dolmavoy's origins, for both are said to live behind the stove. The Kikimura originates from between the 8th to 12th century in Slavic paganism, which of course was slowly taken over by Christianity. Even when Christianity took over, belief in the Kikimura was strong and continues to this day, yet now it is a mix of the Slavic folk religion and the Christian concept of demonic forces. It is said that if you are inflicted with a Kikimura, you should perform reverse behaviour to remove her from your home. For example, ensuring everything is tidy and in good order and the like. She seemed to encourage the observance of cultural values. You could also leave her offerings and ensure you respect her presence. To keep her out of the home overall, be sure to block the keyholes that she can slink into due to being more spirit than physical being. You can also leave a broom upside down outside the door and she will be unable to pass through the keyhole. Prayers would be said to ward her away along with planting silver near the entrances to your home. The sign of the cross would often be made in chalk around windows to ensure she cannot enter. You could wear a protection amulet around your neck or wrist. Some of these were made from onions and or black beads. She is said to dislike Bibles and crosses, so they were also placed around the home. And the Kikimura is said to be allergic to pastors. To remove her from the home, a strange method would be to glue camel wool with a form of resin to the arch on the kitchen stove, which would cause her to disappear. Alternatively, one would call upon a sorcerer who may just end up removing the chidunka that he created for a workman that you might have used, which might require you to smash a hole into the wall with an axe to find the chidinka. And whilst you are doing this, you have to recite, here's to you and here's for that. Once located, the chidinka must be burnt to destroy the spirit, but you can only do this on March 17th, the day of Jerasim the Grachnovic. Alongside getting rid of the chidinka, you will be required to sweep and clean the corners of all the rooms in your home, the hearth, the basement, and anywhere else the Kikimura could remain hidden. Whilst doing this, you would need to recite, get out of here, Kikimura, get away quickly from my home, or I will chase you with iron bars. I will set you on fire with fiery fire. I will pour black pitch. My words are strong and cast from now up to a century. After this, take the dirt and debris you swept from your home and burn it. Once you remove a Kikimura, it was said that they will be unable to return as long as rookbirds are around your home. So when the birds migrate, and an early belief was that the birds flew up to the heavens when autumn came before they learnt that they flew to the south. I absolutely love that. When the rooks leave, it was said that it was easier for the Kikimura to return for rooks are believed to keep away evil. If none of that got rid of your Kikimura, you would simply have to appease her by keeping the house clean. But you could also try purchasing some ferns, which she apparently really likes. If you wash your dishes and cutlery with water that comes from the ferns, she will never damage them. Juniper is said to scare the Kikimura, so it was often used to protect animals from her. Alternatively, a broken pot would be hung from its neck from the ceiling above where animals were kept to keep her away. 
The Kikimora is said to be particularly active during the Yule season, so perhaps ensure the keys are in the locks and you haven't left out your sewing. That is all I have for you today, witches. I promise you our next episode will be all about the Druid. We have honoured the Mokosh, the Kikimora. I feel like our work here is done. Talking of y'all, I just want to let you know all about a little zin that I have on my Etsy store called the Hedge Witches Grimoire with a focus on y'all. In it, we talk all about the grimoire, the winter solstice, there is a winter solstice tarot, there is information on the Kaliak, we look at making a Yule log, there are recipes for Nanny Rose's Yule Cake, which is my grandma who passed, and it's a traditional family recipe that we all use. There's a recipe for spiced Yule tea. We look at the Yule goat. It's just a fucking goat. We've also got in there all about ivy, mistletoe, the holly tree, the pine tree, Merlin, ancestors, wassailing. There is also a wassail recipe in there also. And it does get really deep on some of the topics As you know, I go hard on the research and that is shown in this zin itself. I've published many different little zins, so you will actually find on my Etsy store one that relates to all of the Sabbaths, but I also have a book that you can find on Amazon, you can find it on most online book publishers called The White Witch's Book of Healing. Weaving magical rituals throughout your craft for sacred healing and reclamation of the wild witch within. And this is a book I published a couple of years ago around this time. It is all about shadow work, the dark night of the soul, working with deities, magic, It looks at the Book of Shadows. It's got in there a witch's toolbox. We look at the moon. We look at heartbreak, how to heal it through the use of witchcraft and, of course, spicy psychology. There's ancestral magic in there. Um, There's a section called the Cauldron of Transformation. There's all about soul loss in there, the witch's pyramid. So I've also published that book. This is a great time of year if you are looking to delve into shadow work and some deep level healing. So you might find that book helps. Again, that will be in the show notes. You can tell I'm really bad at self-promotion. So every now and again, I have to just kind of like put it out there because otherwise I just won't do it. So thank you for sticking with me. All I want to say, which is thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support so much. You have no idea. I love doing this. So thank you for listening. I'm sending you lots and lots of witchy love. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.